0: Thank you, Lord. God is here, and I just want you just to stay in that spirit. God is moving. God is moving, and you know, God doesn't need a big crowd. God only had 12 disciples walking with Jesus. God thought that was enough, and one of them was a devil. Eleven people with Jesus was enough. We just thank you, Lord, that you are enough Lord you are enough that's why Lord you work with us (laughs) work with our little just want to continue right along I'm going to go right into it I want to go right into this and just keep going with what I've been speaking about these last two weeks we say to God can't we say to God don't have we say to God not enough but God is meeting your needs God will meet every single need. He never will leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you every single step of the way. And the world has a perspective on what that looks like. And you need to be careful as a Christian that the perspective of enough, the perspective of what need actually is, how do you possibly define need? You could only define need by your circumstance. The man without a meal can be satisfied with one loaf of bread because that's what he absolutely needs. And yet, if we have skipped one of our three meals, <laughs> I need to eat. We need to be careful as Christians. We need to be careful that we don't miss the fact that God has actually supplied every single need. It's okay to ask God for more, but instead of asking God for more stuff, ask him for more of his glory. Ask him for more of his presence. Ask him for more heavenly vision. Ask him for, to be more kingdomly minded if you want more. Ask God more of that, because the Bible says the more you seek him, the more you will find him. If you knock, the door will be open. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, the things that are, are not that necessary, really. Jesus didn't even need to eat. They came to Jesus, Jesus with the woman at the well, and he's ministering to her, and they come and they said, Jesus, you must be starving. And he says, there's a bread that you don't even know about. There's a sustenance that you, I'm trying to get it to you and you will understand one day when the Holy Spirit fills you when you're my my church after my time here, you're going to get it. But right now you can't even understand it that there's a sustenance in God that doesn't even have anything to do with your body, has nothing to do with this world, has nothing to do with your mind. Praise Him. And that's what the Lord is speaking. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The Lord is speaking that to us. That he has given us more than we need, in fact. He has supplied every single need. And many times we're holding back because we're asking God for more of our need. When he says, forget your need. You just focus on the kingdom. You just give, as Jesus said, with the loaves and the fish... And then last week we looked at Elijah and the widow. They both said the same thing. Elijah and Jesus said to the one who didn't think they had enough. They said, what do you have? Just bring what you do have. Give me what you do have. And that's all that Jesus is asking of us. He will meet every single need, but he's asking us to give of ourselves. And I want to take that another step further, and I want you to look at this story in the book of Judges, chapter 6. It's a story of a man named Gideon. Judges, chapter 6, and I'm going to go right into this. Verse 1, it says, "...the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years." We find another similar story here in the book of Judges. In fact, you're going to find this theme through the entire word. In fact, Judges and, and Kings and Chronicles are so repetitious, it can almost be annoying to read. It's almost annoying because you're like, man, you don't, it's a lifetime, but you're like, guys, why won't you get this? that God comes through for them and then they walk away from him and then he comes through for them and then they walk away from him and then he comes through for them and they walk away from him. And it's over and over and over again. And this is what we're looking at here in the book of Judges. This is exactly what's happening. Once again, they had walked away and so God handed them over to the neighboring Uh, armies to deal with them. And it says that the Midianites, verse 2, were so cruel that the Israelites were were, they made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat. Again, there was a time, just like Jesus on the hillside, although they had only been with him a few days, it said, but there was a time of need. God sees the need. God is so faithful that even when he's judging... Even when he's dealing with them, he's so faithful, he just can't do it forever. He'll let you, you know, he lets, he lets you understand your sin for just long enough that you recognize it, but he doesn't leave you there, does he? Jesus needs you to recognize it only for one purpose. To feel sorry and carry that weight around the rest of your life? No. But to turn to him again, he lets the weights of your sin and the mistakes you've made not come around you and condemn you, but to convict you. That's what he does. The devil comes to condemn you. The devil wants you to carry what the Lord has dealt with the rest of your life. If you're still carrying what you've done and repented of a long time ago, then that's the devil. The Lord convicts, he deals with, he removes, he refreshes you, and he moves you on. In Jesus' name, Amen. And it says though that these enemy hordes they had they were taking everything and they destroyed them, and it says that these they said they were as thick as locusts, this, this this crowd was was so dense, there was so many of them that they arrived on droves and camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. This is an incredible story because it's not so different, this is in the natural, but this can be in this, we can see this in the spirit many times. Many times there is a spiritual uh, drought, there is such apathy for God. There's such a lack of caring about God and His ways that He hasn't necessarily stripped the actual physical things, but spiritually, it's just a drought. Where is God? And the Bible says that the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. It says that they cried out, in verse 6, to the Lord for help. The Lord answers that prayer every single time. Every time. When we cry out, the Lord answers us. Isn't that incredible? We did not line that song up, and I forgot about this line. They said, which song do you want last? I said, that one's good. (laughs) That one's good. It just sounded right for today. But there's a crying out that needs to happen. There's a crying out that needs to happen from us to heaven. We need to cry out. And it's, it's not just for our own sins, but it's on behalf of our brothers and sisters too. You know, all of the greats in the word, what really separated them, what, what put the names written down as, as those that, that were remembered in the word are those that actually stand in the gap and even repent for not just their own sins, but their whole nation. The ones that actually stood in the gap for their brothers and sisters, and for their people. Those are written down in the word and remembered. See, Jesus, though, is, he is filled with love and compassion. When we cry out, it doesn't matter what we were. It doesn't matter whether we deserve it. God answers and he doesn't do things the way we expect or the way we may want him to. You need to understand this. We cry out to God and then God starts giving an answer. And the first thing we do is say, well, God, that's you know, not what I expected. And uh, that's not going to work. Not going to work for me. You don't understand my schedule. You don't understand who I am. You don't understand my lack, etc. God's trying to answer a cry. There is a cry. You know, there's a subtle cry in this valley for God. And they don't have to even say the name of God, the spirit in this valley. There's the spirit of people in just in their going to and from, even in their commuting into the city and back. They don't even understand. They just know that there's this desperate, something isn't right I'm desperate. I don't know what that is. And they try to fill it with things, right? People try to fill it with all kinds of other things. They try to fill it with pleasures. But they're actually crying out for an answer. And we have the answer. And God is actually trying to raise us up and use us. And we just need to be willing and obedient. That's all that God needs. All that he needs is willingness and obedience we try to bring God all this stuff. And I'm not saying God. if that was what God gave you to use and then so be it. But we think we need to gather up. We need to do this. We need to do that and whatever. And we just need to just come to him. We just need to say, Lord, I'm willing and I'm obedient. Because most likely what he's going to ask you to do is opposite of what you thought your strength was. And let's just look at that. It's exactly what happens here. I had some other thoughts here in Romans and in James just about our sins and temptations. You know, James 1, why we're drawn away, and it was their own fault, but God had mercy. And so it says, God answers that prayer. It says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came. Everybody say, the angel of the Lord came. The angel of the Lord came. God's on the scene. People are crying out, and God is answering. And it says that he sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizir. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Okay, that was a mouthful. It says the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Let me read that verse very quickly again. It says, Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero. God sees what you can't see. With the loaves and the fish, I don't want to re-preach those sermons, but I want to refresh you. They saw X amount of loaves and X amount of fish and X amount of people. And this math doesn't work. God sees beyond. God sees in multiplication. God sees outside the realm of the natural. He sees from the supernatural realm. With the widow, she said, if I give you what I have first, I'm going to die. And what she couldn't see was that there was a promise from God that if you give to me first, you put me first, you'll never lack, you'll never need. And we need to see that the same thing when God comes to us, you know, God will come to you and speak to you and you're going to turn around and say, who are you talking to, Lord? (laughs) I think you got the wrong number. I don't want to pick on Jeannie, but she has said it. She said it many times. I'm just going to bring it up as an example that she would shake if she had to say anything in front of people. Would never ever in her life expect to talk in front of people. That's funny. Because who knows, she has no problem talking in front of people today. Whatsoever. Whatsoever. Because God saw beyond what she could see. God sees beyond what you can see. Many times we are literally holding back what God is looking to use because we don't think that it's enough or that we're worthy or whatever the case is. There are many, many, many reasons why. But God is saying to you, mighty hero. And literally in the Amplified it says, you mighty man of fearless courage. You mighty man of fearless courage. There is zero explanation as to why God said this about Gideon, except that God can see the future. There is no scripture, this is our first introduction to him, and, and our introduction is that he's hiding at the bottom of a winepress. And God says, you mighty man of fearless courage. In fact, the Hebrew is this word gibor, which means mighty man. It means warrior. It means champion. It means chief. It means valiant. And, and it was a compound word of gibor and khalil, and it means a force. It means uh, virtue, valour, strength, able. And so on, substance, strong, war, worthy. And yet he responds to God in Judges chapter six, verse thirteen. Sir, Gideon replied, <laughs> he says some key words, just like the disciples, just like the widow. If everybody say if if, if is a questioning word, if you didn't under, already understand. If, it's conditional, if the Lord is with us, why? He's got another question here. He's questioning if, why has all this happened to us? Where? If and why and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue from the Midianites I am sending you. The Lord just bypasses his lack of faith. Did you hear his lack of faith? Do you know the Lord can actually bypass your lack of profession? I want to speak to you something today. Man, the Lord surprised me with this in these next minutes. The Lord surprised me. I didn't head in this direction, but it was the Lord. Faith is not your profession. Faith is your action. Faith is not your profession. Although, as Christians, what are we obsessed about? Professing, right? Why? Because we want to tell our minds, right, what it should hear from our spirit. I'm not telling you don't profess, but that's not faith. That's not a bad thing to do, but that's not faith. Faith is action. He actually argues with God again. Verse 15, but Lord, he says, but Lord, he knows who he is, he calls him Lord. But Lord, Gideon replied, how? So again, no faith whatsoever. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Our clan is the weakest, and if that's not enough, I'm the weakest of the whole clan. Not only do I not believe what you're saying to me, but I don't think I have what it takes even if what you said is true. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, or the world's wisdom, or the world's power. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. God made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Do you know that Gideon's words were exactly what God needed to hear? It was actually humility. It sounds like a lack of faith, but he was about as humble as you're going to get. About as low as you're going to get. Come on. Come on, let's be honest here. He's like, I, I the Lord loves these moments. As soon as you say, I can and I will, the Lord says, well, I got to take you through some things to show you that it's really going to be me. But if you can say, I can't, we don't need to, we'll just skip that step and perfect. Now let me join with you. As it says in 1 Corinthians, it's that you are united with Christ. It was for our benefit. It's not for God's benefit. He uses us, doesn't he? But it was for our benefit that God made us connected with him, he made us right, he made us pure, he made us holy, he freed us, he gave us wisdom, he gave us strength, and all of those things come from him. It's not you, it's him. It says in Judges chapter 6, verse 16, continuing, it says, The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now Gideon's starting to get it, right? He's filled with faith. Gideon's filled with faith now, because the Lord's like, he's telling them, he just told them a third time, I'll be with you. In fact, that's exactly what he said to Moses. You can find that in Exodus and in Joshua. He gave them the same promise, I'll be with you. I will personally be with you. But it says in verse 17 that Gideon replied, if, again. Who's getting your faith built up today? Come on, this is a faith encouragement message. This is a faith encouragement message because it says they said, he, he said to the Lord, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign. If again. And then it says in Judges chapter 6, verse 36, Gideon says to him again. He starts to get it. He starts to understand a little bit, but he questions again. He says in verse 36, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it. And we know that's what putting the fleece out means. And then he says again in verse 39. Come on, everybody say again. He questioned God again. We're talking big faith. We're talking this is a hero of the faith, right? He's listed as one of the heroes. (laughs) Who's encouraged so far already? Like, wait a second, there's hope for Gideon, there's hope for me. I've doubted God a time or two. Who's doubted God before? God's not worried about you doubting him. What he's worried about is will you do what he says that he told you to do? You don't even need to think you're capable, you just need to be willing and obedient to do it. You can think this is gonna fail. And the disciples literally told Jesus, There's not enough. And he said, Bring it to me. They never said once, Oh, this is going to be amazing. Now watch. They whispered to each other, I don't know where and I don't know how he's going to do this. God is not worried about your words here. He is not worried. He is not worried. Come on, everybody say, He's not worried. Do I encourage you to talk like this all the time? No. But he's not worried by your doubt. What he's, what he's looking for is for you to say, you know what? I'm going to trust you anyway. That's real faith. Real faith is when the scientific, the academic community of the entire world from preschool to advanced education says that there is no god and that you evolved from an ape and you decide to to not believe even though that's what you've been taught and that's what it says on discovery channel and every zoo uh, it has to say it on the plaque where that animal came from and how it got to be what it got and you decide i'm going to trust god anyway you decide i'm going to trust god anyway you know what I don't know how, but the Bible says, it says in Matthew 21, verse 28, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. Love that positive confession, faith. But he didn't go. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. It's the first. What did the first do? He said, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. The Lord is speaking today. It doesn't matter what the world has said and what you have said so far to God. God is not worried about what your doubt and all the times that you doubted him. Every time he talks to the disciples, it seems like it's countless. He says to them, you still don't believe? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? And yet he was still willing to use them, wasn't he? And their faith did come, didn't it? It came when, though? When did their faith come? It came when they said, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm just going to trust him. I know he's God. Where else are we going to go? Peter says to Jesus. You're going to leave? Where else are we going to go? I don't, what else is there? I'm just going to trust you anyway. And it says that Gideon does something amazing. It says in Judges chapter 6, verse 25, it says that that night the Lord said to Gideon, so he's starting to, you know, he's doubting God, but he's starting to, God's starting to deal with him. And Gideon is, he says, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, and pull down your father's altar to Baal. Now, remember, the reason that they're in this issue, he could have just raised up Gideon and sent Gideon out and fought the army. In fact, God didn't need Gideon. He doesn't even need Gideon. God can do whatever he wants. God can just, in fact, if you know the story, we don't have time today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But if you know the story, God does it anyway. It's all God. God. But the Bible says that first, remember, because the reason that they had the... God starts dealing with the issue first before he deals with the thing you've been praying for. He's got to deal with the reason. And he says, pull down your father's altar to Baal cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it, then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully, and sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. God gives him actually a very sharp, very hard thing. You don't realize how hard this was. The entire community, and we can see their response in a few verses, the entire community had rebelled against God and didn't want God. Now Gideon says, I don't know who you think I am, and I don't know, you know, I think you got the wrong number, and I don't think that I'm the guy for this. But when God asks him to do something, he pushes aside what he thinks he is, and he pushes aside uh, all of his feelings and all of his thoughts, and he actually goes and does what God asked him. He had zero profession of faith, but his faith, his action came out. In fact, the Bible says, it says in the book of James chapter 2, it says verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith? What good is it if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Verse 17, so you see faith by itself isn't enough. Verse 19, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, with an exclamation point. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. See, the world, and even you've got to be careful as a Christian, even the church can define faith as declarations. You declaring and standing, that's not faith. That's the first part. That's a great first step. But it needs to be followed through with action. It shouldn't, it's better to be that step than saying, I don't know and I have no idea. It'd be better to be professing it, but it's the action that God is looking for. Does this make sense to anyone today? It says, can't you see... Can't you see, it says, how foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions. Does that mean that he didn't believe God? Of course he believed God. His action meant, I believe you. I don't understand. I don't know how. This is all I've got. Come on, this is for, the, um, let's bring this home where you feel like you've got nothing and I've got so little. And the Lord's just saying, just give me what you have. And you say, I don't even know how you're going to use this. How can you use this broken vessel? The Lord just says, give it to me. It's the action that he's looking for. It's that act of faith. It's the act of faith. And it says, He was shown to be right by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. That made zero sense why he would offer his son Isaac on the altar when God just promised him Isaac and finally he's here, he's here, right? And go sacrifice him. It says, you see, verse 22, faith and his actions, everybody say faith, and his actions work together. His actions made his faith Complete. It says in verse 26 just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Listen, I'm not preaching to you to have a poor confession of faith in this church, but I want you as a church to be more interested in acting out even what you don't think is possible even what you don't fully understand. If you think I've gotta fully get it first before you do it, you will never do anything for God. If you think I've gotta fully figure it out, I need the 10 step plan, I need the whole map, I need the GPS, I need the ending, I need the bank account, I need this, and then you're gonna be an old, old man or woman and die. The Lord, what he does is starts moving with you by action. And when we just say, okay, Lord, this is what I've got. I'm just going to give you who I am and what I've got. This little act of faith, Lord, it's just little, but it's all I have. And Gideon was willing to do that back in Judges. And it says, so Gideon took, verse 27 of chapter 6, he took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded he did it. In fact, this was a life-threatening thing he did. It says, "He did it at night because he was afraid." There's an old saying that I, I discovered it's an old saying but I just discovered it a couple years ago. It's, "If you're afraid, do it afraid." That doesn't sound like faith to me. But that's exactly what faith is, because faith is, I am afraid. I am afraid. In fact, what did uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? You know what? God's going to save us, but if we die. So they were saying confession of God's going to save us, but we may die. <laughs> like 50-50 here. You know, we might make it, might not. But, if, but either way, we're not bowing down. Our faith is not in a, a, a lack in God. Our faith is that God is going to, even if we die, he could resurrect us he's gonna, or he's going to bring us to heaven. I mean, you just can't take anything from us. Our faith, it's not a faith that God can do. It's a faith in God. Come on, it's not a faith that God can do. It's faith in God. Because what we do is we look at the circumstances and, and like I said, we look at the needs and we look at the means and we look at the result and we try to compute all that. You don't know what God's doing. Because then if you do, you're just looking at what faith and what God can do and faith in his result. You just need to have faith in God because I know I gave myself fully and this is what we got. Wave that up to God. Then there's no pressure. It takes all of the pressure off of you because if you think it's you, well, I'm going to apply myself and I'm going to get a result and then you don't get the result. And you have this pressure and condemnation from the devil that you think, you know, was supposed to be this and was supposed to be that. Even this church, we've been going for three years and I love you guys, but you know that if I brought in some people, I could bring in some church founders from around the world and they'd be like, where's all the people? And they would literally judge and say, well, because you don't have X amount of people, it's been three years, you should have, should be 150, but looks like I'm looking at my chart here. Come on. We don't know what God's looking for. I think God's more interested in the individual and interested in the heart of the place and the hearts of the people than the numbers. Amen. Amen. And so he does it. It says... And early the next morning, verse 28, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down and in their place, a new altar had been built. Come on, amen. Come on, this is what the Lord's asking for. This was the beginning. The only reason that God could use, we don't even have time, like I said, we know what Gideon does. He, God breaks him down to 300 men and goes and takes out 100 plus, 120,000 people with 300 men it's not possible. That's the end of the story. But I believe, and the Lord started showing me that only happened because of this moment. He was willing to say, I'm going to cut off from everything. This is, this is all he knew. He, he'd only, God was only a story to them. We, I heard about God and I heard about the miracles, but this is what he grew up in. And he cut off everything that he knew, This is his father's house, and he just got rid of everything. Come on, you can see this parallel in in so many stories. Abraham has to leave, right? Moses has to leave. In fact, my mind's going a million places. Elisha has to leave his father's, right? Burns everything. And he does it, and it says that the people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned, and I'm wrapping up, that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded, he must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. And we can see Gideon knew that he was afraid. He knew that this is probably what was going to happen. He did it anyway as an act of faith. God, I'm probably going to die doing this. I'm going to do this at night, try to sneak and just get this thing done at night. I want to be obedient, but I'm afraid. And this is probably what's going to happen. But it says, come on, you give your little. Come on, you just give yourself. God will fend for you. Come on. You give all that you have. You give yourself, God will fend for you. That's the moral of the story. You give and God will fend for you. You just abandon yourself. God, I'm going to step out there and I'm just going to give you what I got. I'm going to tear down. I'm going to reject everything that I know. I'm going to get rid of everything I could lean upon. And I might even be cutting off family here. I'll be cutting off my whole community, but I'm just going to follow you anyway. And it says that Joash, his father, he shouted at the mob and confronted him. And he said, why are you defending Baal? Come on, he gave his father faith. Joash didn't have faith. This is Joash's altar. One, what, because his son does this, there's no act God doesn't meet with him. But come on, you give yourself, you're going to encourage faith in others. Who has seen that? Who has seen your action of faith? Come on, you speak it, speak it, speak it, speak it. People are like, whatever. The world doesn't care. It matters to your heart. That's what I'm saying. We should still profess it. That's, you're doing that for your own heart. God doesn't need to hear it. He already knows your heart. Devil doesn't really care. You're you're just professing those things to tell your mind to get in line, tell your body to get in line with the spirit, right? But when you act upon it, an action of faith, an action of faith, now Joash is actually, he's built up with faith. He defends his son and says, if Baal's real, if this God is real, He'll defend himself. So verse 32 says, from then on, Gideon was called Jerubal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. And we know that the Lord in, in verse 34, the spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. He clothes Gideon and he has an encounter with Gideon. Gideon does an amazing feat. Maybe I'll look at it next week. Maybe not. I don't know what the Holy Spirit was up to, but he was up to something. Amen. Let's just stand. We just thank you, God. We praise you, Lord God. We glorify you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we are just going to keep giving you our little. Lord, this is all we've got. This is all I am. And I have no idea how you're going to use it, but I'm going to give it to you and just keep giving it to you. And I know, Lord, your word has been printed and bound, Lord, for me. Lord, it's been bound and prepared for us. Lord, we have Lord, an an innumerable amount of promises that tell us if we trust in you, you'll take care of us. So Lord, I pray that we would believe it. Lord, even when we don't believe it, Lord, that you would use us and then, Lord, help us to understand what you're doing, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If we got to get faith later, then so be it, but we're just going to trust you anyway, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We've really, truly proved that we do believe you when we do it. Not when we say it, but when we do it, Lord. So let us be a people of action. Lord, a people that aren't just hearers of the word, but doers of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.